Welcome to the Fallon Forum. This is Ed Fallon, and we are broadcasting from Des Moines, Iowa, the cultural and culinary crossroads of America. Hey, thanks to all of our partners and sponsors, supporters, especially to our anchor sponsor, Gateway Marketing Cafe. That's Central Iowa's premier good food store. Gateway brings together the world's finest products with Iowa-grown foods and passionate personalized service. If you're looking for quality foods with a community focus, check out Gateway Marketing Cafe. Hey, a quick shout out to the Des Moines Irish Session for providing our music today. Later in the program, we'll be talking with, uh, with um, Greg Maynard, a political activist from Ohio, about the effort to subvert the people's vote on reproductive rights. We'll also be talking with him about, about uh, the fiasco around redistricting and gerrymandering. Uh, Randy Evans joins us for some upbeat, positive conversation about good things happening in the world. And finally, Kathy Burns will go solo for the last segment with a tribute to her favorite farm and food lady. At first, so it's my pleasure to welcome Dr. Maureen McHugh to the program. Maureen has devoted her life to finding ways to support public health and provide universal health care access. Uh, that's part of her work as a primary care practitioner. Uh, she's also uh, taught at uh, the University of Iowa, and she's been a leader with Physicians for Social Responsibility. Maureen, welcome to the program. Hi, Ed. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Sure. And, um, you know, the the... A lot of states will be uh, seeing their legislative sessions beginning in, you know, a couple months or so. And uh, that's certainly true in Iowa. And I think there's some growing concern that Governor Reynolds, our Republican governor, is kind of um, oblivious to some of the challenges facing people who, you know, who need child care assistance, who have medical issues, um, uh, who have disability issues. And you've been, you know, through your professional and personal work, you've been kind of tracking that. And I thought... We just get a you know kick it off with a conversation about you know what do you see as some of the problems that are being ignored? Well, I think um, as as many of us know, the list is really quite long. You started the list, but I think even more importantly to remember before we talk about all the things on the list is that Governor Reynolds announced at the end of September that the state has a budget surplus and that uh, $2.74 billion were going to be given back to taxpayers, um, individual taxpayers, through further tax cuts and, and through the monies that are already on hand. And so while she's calling it an excess, you, I, many of our friends are saying, what? <laughs> What's going on? Um, we have some real health care problems, as you mentioned. We have housing problems. Clearly, we have mental health problems. We have great need for expanded and improved disability care. And that's just, you know, the beginning of the story. It goes on from there in terms of education, early child care, what's going on with libraries. And then, you know, I mean, we could go on and on, clean water, parks and recreation. And so you can shut me up. And- <laughs> <laughs> well, now you, you've, uh, you, in addition to the, your, your, your public work as a physician and an instructor and, and an activist, uh, you're also a parent of a, of a son with, uh, with, who has benefited, who, who needs disability services. How, how do you see the uh, budget cuts uh, that have contributed to this uh, budget surplus, as it's called? How do you see those cuts having affected the disability community? Well, um, all the way around, and you know, with 
the, the spectrum from mental health to disabilities that are cognitive and physical, uh, it's very hard for people to get any of those services if they're new, newly in need. And then um, what's happening on the care front is that, um, you know, the kind of salaries that people can work don't keep them in the whole field. They go because they can't afford to live on, on a basic, um, very low-level payment schedules despite the high-intensity kind of work. And then with mental health, I mean, you just you can't get in anywhere. You have real problems with um, insurance coverage. Mm-hmm. Um, what are, know, I mean, the, what are the some, problems are multitude. What are some of the multiple. things that What are some of the things that insurance companies tend to decline to cover? Oh, anytime you have a need for mental health, if you need inpatient care to really protect the person, they um, determine how long a person can be in hospital or in inpatient care. And they determine, you know, when you should be out of the hospital, not the providers saying, no, this person still needs a so, lot of care. And, and insurance, an insurance adjuster makes a determination as to whether a medical procedure is needed, not the doctor. Correct. In many cases, in many hmm. cases. And doctors can fight about it, but it becomes really difficult because they also have really complicated schedules and demands. And hmm. so... The idea that insurance adjusters, the ones who are trying to make a profit off of your suffering, are the ones setting, you know, the the scales of, yeah. of time and service. No, are, no, con- no conflict of interest there. No, no, none whatsoever. <laughs> Sarcasm <right>. intended, <laughs> in case anybody missed it. So, um, yeah, I, I know, I know you you don't have uh, ch- children in childcare, you know, services, but but I know that you're aware of uh, some of the. Um, you know some of the shortcomings there, and how those are affecting families. What do you, what what are your, what's your perspective on that, Maureen? Well, I see them as being really um, integral to all the other um, problems. For instance, you asked about disability care. I hardly know of a disability care provider who doesn't also have children at home. Mm, okay. So when their children um, are in need of care or concern. They can't provide the services for which they're employed. Um, and so these things, they kick back on each other. Um, and if mothers who would otherwise be doing good um, jobs in the community aren't able to because they can't get child care for their young children, they're a loss to the entire economy um, because mm, they're just right. not there. Um, and if, so these things, I think, are closely related. Now, uh, to the uh, to the governor's reference to additional tax cuts, uh, you know, if I was still a lawmaker, I could probably tell you exactly what she had in mind, but I haven't been tracking it that closely. And, I mean, it, oftentimes anymore we find out that they don't really tell you a lot about what they have in mind until the bill drops, and then there's mm-hmm. either very limited or no opportunity for the public to comment, and oftentimes very little opportunity for legislators to even read the bill, grasp it, you know, share with uh, with constituency groups affected by by the by the uh, by the proposal. So I, I don't know whether you've got any any take on what might transpire in terms of tax cuts, but that's an important part of the question as well, in my opinion. Right, right. That's what I was saying. Um, like I said, uh, it was reported in late 
September that she announced Iowa has a budget surplus right. of $1.38 billion and $900 million in reserve funds. And then she talked about $2.74 billion in taxpayer relief funds to be returned to individual taxpayers through further tax cuts, what the exact ones are. But they were supposed also to include corporate taxes. And so, you know, we, we know all the problems with Iowa's water. We know all, all the problems with Iowa's land, land use. Um, and so why that that money that we need for cleaning up the water, that money that we need for expanding um, clean energy deployment, all of those things, why would that money go back to corporate tax cuts or even to individuals? I, I mean, sure, we'd all like a few hundred dollars extra to buy a nice dinner out or to go out and, you know, hit the highlights on the weekend. But what is that going to do for improved health care? What's that going to do for guaranteed housing? Mm -hmm. What's that going to do for our water or our parks or yeah. any of the other things that we share in common? In my experience, um, in my experience you know, the, the uh, Iowa's income taxes are, that, are not that bad, and they have, been, they have been cut for the average person. But unfortunately, it often amounts to a shift uh, where I think people, in my experience, uh, feel the for the biggest burden of uh, of, uh, of government uh, taxation is in property taxes. At least that's the case here in Iowa. That might not be the case everywhere, but here, property taxes are are high, and sales tax. I mean, we now have a seven cent sales tax in Des Moines, and many other cities around the state have also in, implemented a what's called a local option tax. And you know, sales taxes tend to hit the the least um, least least uh, least wealthy people the hardest. And, um, you know, an income tax is a way to kind of, you know, structure a tax system that, uh, that makes those who have the most uh, more able to pay uh, a, a, more, a more fair share. And so that's my impression. Is I don't know where this particular tax cut conversation is going, but my impression is, and I think, I think we share this view, it's probably not going to be of great benefit to the average person. And as you noted, a lot of the things that really benefit average people, parks, good health care, education, et cetera, those will be underfunded as they have been for a while now. Yeah, um, I can't imagine that the tax cuts are going to be a sales tax cut. We know that on a relative basis, the lower income you are, the more relative to your income you are paying on state sales tax. Right. I haven't heard anybody talk about dropping state sales tax. Nope. Um, <laughs> you know, I... I I understand about homeowners um, complaining about taxes on their homes, but for today's uh, economy, the homeowners, in, in many ways, are the better off elements of mm. of society. We have, you know, increasing numbers all the time of people without good housing or without secure housing, um, and so. The people who are impacted by either the idea that we're going to get taxpayer relief or by what needs to be paid for through taxes are very different populations. Yeah, yeah, and uh, you know, to the broader question of um, of healthcare needs not being met, I mean, we've seen we've seen uh, a whole chunk of people get bumped off of uh, Medicare. 
Medicare. Medi yeah. yeah, because they didn't file the appropriate, they didn't respond to the appropriate form. They were, they yeah. were, they, 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 they are technically qualified, but, uh, and I can't remember the detail about what transpired to, to require that form, but. A lot of people, I want to say it's in the thousands just in our state, got bumped off simply because they didn't respond appropriately and timely to a form. Yeah, and for anybody who's ever had to try to fill out those forms, <laughs> I am 100% certain without equivocation that those forms are designed to not work for the person filling them out. They're really hard. It's really hard to know when something is actually due, where... It, you can get some help if you don't understand a question or where you can get help in terms of actually answering the question. I, because we do have um, uh, an adult um, disabled child who has been getting disability care for years, we have been filling out forms for years. And we, we my husband and I, are two people with advanced you know degrees in medicine and phds and still we have difficulty filling out those forms mm. when they say people were dropped off because they didn't fill out the forms or they didn't fill them out properly or on time it's because it's so difficult to do the forms are designed to keep people away from the services they require and now many of those forms I mean, let's face it, they're, 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 a, they're a bipartisan creation. And so, you know, to some extent, I think that um, some of that information obviously is, is needed, requires some of those questions matter in terms of being able to assess who really needs the, uh, the, the assistance. And, you know, there's always a, you know, possibility of a scammer out there, and you want to weed that out. But the, um, you know, the bigger picture is uh, I, I think that there's, there's a, you know, Organizations create bureaucracies, and bureaucracies thrive on, 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 you know, maintaining their uh, their necessity by, um, you know, by you know, they've got to justify their existence. And one way to do that is through a lot of paperwork, you know. And I, that's well, that's yeah. that's maybe a harsh a harsh take on 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 the, on that aspect of our system, but it's it's an interesting way to try and uh, apologize for the difficulties. On the other hand. I'm sorry, but we all need health care. We are a wealthy country. We have falling life expectancy. We have increasing maternal and child mortality. We don't need to keep people away from health care. We need to provide access yeah. to quality health care for all. And given to weed out these so-called cheaters, I mean, we're all human beings and we all have needs. Right. Why not just get rid of the whole notion yeah. of cheaters and provide health care like every other advanced that, Western That country? makes so much sense. And I'm actually surprised that, that there's not a, there hasn't been a state yet that is really, I mean, I know states have tried, Hawaii, Massachusetts, uh, other places have tried to implement some type of universal health care system. I'm actually surprised it hasn't happened. Uh, I, I know, I know the, uh, the pharmaceutical and medical lobbies are so powerful, they push back against it, and the insurance companies, of course. But I think people really understand that we've got problems, and maybe, maybe other countries are doing it right. Maybe we've got something going on wrong here since we spend more than any other nation on health care and have much lower results. Yeah, 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 and un unfortunately, as you say, the pharmaceutical industry, the biotech industry, um, the insurance industry are yeah. all extremely powerful, yeah. and that goes back to all kinds of other issues going on yeah. at federal and state levels 
that gives those people the power because they have the lobbyists and they have the money and they can um, in- improve their position yep. vis-a-vis those of you know the ordinary citizen Morning. very easily through money. Yeah. <laughs> Maureen, I've got to run to a break. I really appreciate you joining us. Thank you. Well, thanks for talking, and we should continue. There's lots more to be said, of course, always on these topics. Folks, we've been talking with Dr. Maureen McHugh, a physician from Iowa City and uh, active with Iowa Physicians for Social Responsibility and a a keen observer of what goes on in state and federal government. Uh, Back in a minute, uh, Greg Maynard's going to join us. We're going to look at what's happening in Ohio with reproductive rights and redistricting. Back in a minute on the Fallon Forum. Gateway Market and Cafe is Des Moines' locally owned grocery and specialty food store, centrally located at ML King Parkway and Woodland Ave. Enjoy chef-crafted prepared foods, artisan baked goods, organic produce, hand-cut meats, local and international cheeses, wines, and craft beer. Gateway's Cafe is open for dine-in, carry-out, and delivery service seven days a week. Stop by or visit gatewaymarket.com for more details. Gateway Market. Good food, great community. At Story County Veterinary Clinic, Dr. Kim Holding has over 30 years of experience working with all creatures great and small. Cat, dog, horse, cow, elephant. Well, if you've got a pet elephant, you may be in trouble. Kim's clients stick with her year after year because they know she'll do right by them and their pets and farm animals. So give Kim a shout to keep your animals happy and healthy. Call 515-232-8766. That's 232-8766. Welcome back to the Fallon Forum. Hey, thanks to all of our sponsors and partners, including Catholic Peace Ministry, an independent nonprofit with no ties to the Des Moines Catholic Diocese. Catholic Peace Ministry focuses on nuclear disarmament, the need for diplomacy in Ukraine and Israel and Palestine, also ending the permanent war economy. Learn more at catholicpeaceministry.org. Thanks also to Architecture by Synthesis, owner Mark Klipsham, asks that you use the most energy-efficient methods you can afford and the greenest, longest-lasting materials available. Examples of Mark's work can be found at architecturebysynthesis.com. All right, it's my pleasure to welcome my longtime friend and longtime political observer to the program, uh, Greg Maynard in Columbus, Ohio. Hello, Greg. How are you? Doing great, Ed. How are you? Good. So uh, we're going to compare notes uh, from one red state to another. Uh, uh, <laughs> I so the uh, big news out of Ohio is on election day, fifty-seven percent of the voters uh, decided to establish a constitutional right to abortion, and that uh, vote overrode laws passed by the Republican-controlled legislature uh, that would have dramatically restricted abortion access. And now we have a response from, what, 27 members of the uh, Ohio General Assembly, all Republicans, who um, signed a statement vowing to, quote, do everything in their power to prevent the restrictive abortion laws on the books, from, from, from staying on the books. So, um, yeah, anyway, uh, <laughs> that's pretty cheeky. Then. They're even getting pushback from some Republicans, including the governor. 
What's your take on the ground there in terms of how this is playing out? Um, you know, I think that it's really just performative politics on the part of uh, the Republicans. You know, this is red meat that they need to throw out to their perceived base, and they're, you know, not happy with the way things went down on election night. This is the sort of shenanigans we've been seeing on this issue for over a year. But that's nearly half of the uh, half of the GOP members of the Ohio House want to take this action to override the people's vote. That's a big that's a big majority of their majority or near uh, near majority. Yeah, I mean it's not a majority of the House. Right, uh, but it's a near majority but, of the Republicans in the House. Yeah, I mean this is what's called the Ohio Pro-Life Caucus. And so it's not a shock to anybody that um, this group would come out in favor of repealing the will of the people. Um, it's full of theocrats and reprehensible humans. <laughs> and it's not a surprise to anybody that, you know, this is about power and politics. And, and that's one thing that the Republican Party in Ohio really understands is it, it's about power. And so they're going to use every means at their disposal to try to thwart the will of the people. Um, you know, we had our Secretary of State who uh, tried to create a uh, constitutional amendment that basically was going to preempt this um, last election. And it would have said that you needed 60% of the voters to change the, uh, the Ohio Constitution. That went down in flames. Why, why, uh, why, why, did it, why did that get down in flames? I, I thought they would have been able to pass that. Uh, no, I mean, there was, you know, even, even, even some folks on the right were uh, upset that... Mm. Uh, okay. The Secretary of State was trying this. Now, you know, our Secretary of State is going to be running against Sherrod Brown. For U.S. Senate. The yeah. Republican um, uh, nomination. So, you know, he's he's running for higher office. He's a he's a he's a stooge. Um, he's not a particularly bright individual. They tried some shenanigans with uh, the ballot language and changed the word from um, fetus to unborn human, and you know, yeah, that's that's a pretty loaded will, expression. Yeah, pretty loaded terminology. Yeah. The good news is, is that uh, as inept as the Ohio Democratic Party is, the people of Ohio basically saw through the shenanigans and overwhelmingly. Um, came out for an August special election that the legislature, you know, months earlier had outlawed special elections in August. And then they decided, well, they would just go ahead and do this anyway. And they got the Republican-dominated Supreme Court to go along with them. So, you know, this is... And what did, what did, that, that, what did that special election accomplish? Uh, it was a one-issue special election, and it was... Can we uh, amend the state constitution with 50% plus one? Uh, okay. Or does it need to be 60% of the vote? So, so that went down in flames. 
And that set the stage for the vote in November on the reproductive rights language. It did. Yeah. And, and what made it interesting and confusing was in, in, in August, we had to vote no on issue one if you were in favor of abortion rights. In November, you had to vote yes on issue one. And, you know, the, the no side basically borrowed the same layout of the campaign signs for the August election to further confuse people. And mm. I'd like to think I'm fairly savvy, but, you know, I had to do a double take when I was voting and think, no, wait a minute, am, am I voting yes or no this time? So apparently, so, I mean, apparently their efforts to fool a majority of Ohio voters failed. You have to wonder, though, if they hadn't engaged in, as you call them, shenanigans, uh, both with the the reversal of the uh, vote and also the, the, the duplication of the style of the, uh, of the uh, language. Um, you have to wonder if how many people they did fool and how many how, how, how big of a margin of victory it would have been if they hadn't done that. It may have been over 60 percent. Who knows? Yeah, I mean, no one, no so, one will know. So let me ask you this. So, so the, the, GO, the, the a, a significant, a near majority of the House GOP members in Ohio want to, um, want to basically negate the popular vote on reproductive rights. Uh, they're getting pushed back from others within the Republican Party but um, maybe not a majority within the party. But uh, how, what, what chance do they have of succeeding in this, in this direction? Are they going to be able to pull this off? No, they have zero chance. Okay. And why is that? Um, you know, I, I think basically there's no stomach for it. I mean, the Republican Party is, is based on holding on to power more than they are on principle. And they've seen repeatedly that when they try to take on abortion rights, they lose. Okay, so they're going to back away, you think? Yeah, I, I think so. I mean, this was clearly an example of overreach. I mean, what's interesting is, is that, you know, several of the people on that list were considered to be moderate Republicans at one point. We have several statewide Republicans who were early in their career pro-choice. Uh, including the lieutenant governor. Hmm. Uh, he is no longer pro-choice. But, uh, you know, that's part of the red meat that is the Republican Party. Hmm. And, you know, the Republicans are far more interested in power than they are in principle. So bottom line is if Republicans hope to maintain power in Ohio, they're going to have to serve less red meat to their constituents, their base. Mm -hmm. You know, I think it's all performative, Ed. I, I think that what they like doing is sort of what Marjorie Taylor Greene likes to do, which is to put forward these amendments, uh, articles of impeachment that they know aren't going to go anywhere, but they can say, you know, we tried to do something and it was the corrupt powers that be that kept us from doing this. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, Governor DeWine is about as conservative as you could possibly be, and yet he had two challengers in the last gubernatorial election that ran against him from the right, mm. uh, one of whom was just an overt Christo-fascist. And you mentioned, too, Greg, that the Democratic Party has... Uh, I forget the exact language you used earlier in this conversation about the ineffectiveness of the Ohio Democratic Party. Can you say a little bit more about that? I mean, Ed, my joke about the Ohio Democratic Party is they couldn't even wet themselves properly if they tried to. 
Okay. Any layer of that, I, I, in effect. I guess the F, 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 uh, FC, FCC allows that, that metaphor. That's funny. Yeah. Um, so, and why is that? Uh, what's, what's going? What's wrong with them? What's happening? I mean, I think the, the real issue is, is that um, there is no... There, there is no party building mechanism that isn't sort of within the traditional county um, Democratic parties. And the power base of the Ohio Democratic Party at this point is really just in the large urban centers. Cleveland, uh, Columbus, Toledo, anything else? Akron? Well, yeah, I mean, the, the, the story in, in Ohio politics is always... Uh, Cleveland and Cuyahoga County, if you could come out of Cuyahoga County with two-thirds of the vote, uh, the rest of the state being equal, you would still win. Now, Cuyahoga County's lost a lot of population, Hmm. and, you know, Governor Voinovich, going way back, was the first Republican mayor of, of Cleveland, actually came in after the demise of Dennis Kucinich, and, you know, sort of began to break apart that old hmm. ethnic-based um, Democratic Party. The only thing that really doomed the Democrats here in Ohio was term limits. Uh, for good or ill, um, we had a Democratic machine that was, you know, equally represented in the urban counties and in the rural counties. And then once term limits came into effect, we sort of lost that, I don't want to call it leadership because it was pretty corrupt, (laughs) but we lost that institutional knowledge of how to win and how to be successful. So it's certainly something else that has impacted Democrats. And again, it's a a very undemocratic tweaking of of, uh, voting laws. The, 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 uh, Every, every 10 years, of course, redistricting occurs, new legislative and congressional boundaries are drawn, and uh, Ohio's have become, Ohio's become known for very, very much gerrymandered districts that, that despite, you know, a, you know, a fairly even balance of uh, voter registration, the voter, voter registrations in the state, um, a very, very lopsided uh, um, representation in both the legislature and in Congress. And so, um, you know, you've got people challenging that uh, over and over again, the courts challenging it, and yet the Republican legislature comes back and just finds a way to continue to, you know, to, uh, to double down on, on gerrymandering that is very much favorable to Republican candidates. Yeah, it's very true. I mean, we, um, I guess it was, what, 2018 or something, we had another citizen initiative to try to establish fair voting districts and uh, it passed overwhelmingly and uh, you know we uh, had the Republicans submit a bunch of um, highly gerrymandered districts that went to the Ohio Supreme Court and was law uh, you know ruled against the Republicans and basically the Supreme Court justice who was a uh, uh, chief justice who was uh, term limited out basically because of her age was the, the critical vote. And when she was out, then in the next election, there was a new Republican and lo and behold, that previously unconstitutional 
gerrymandered map was now found to be constitutional. So, I mean, it's the same thing that you're seeing in Mississippi and North Carolina and in a bunch of other states. This is the legacy of ALEC and, you know, the right wing. Um, and to be fair, like there are there are Democratic bodies that also gerrymander. Oh, uh, clearly. Yeah, but Republicans have done it a lot, quote, better, meaning worse, <laughs> Uh, and more effectively, and, and and once they've established that, once they got, once they have that foothold, they you know they find ways of preventing it from ever going back to any kind of fair and balanced representation. And what, what's what's the way out of that? Is is there is there a road in Iowa? It's different because we don't have partisan gerrymandering. We're very fortunate that way. Apparently, Republicans don't need that here to become the uh, the, uh, the pretty much the one party state. But uh, but in Ohio. If you had fair districts, you'd probably see uh, maybe not a Democratic legislature, but much more, much, much closer to parity. So what's uh, what's what's the road forward to try to get there? Well, uh, you know, there is now another ballot measure that supposedly will think the uh, attorney general just approved the ballot language uh, a couple of weeks ago. And so we're going to take another crack at it. Um, this time it's going to be more of a nonpartisan, um, board. I think there will still be Republicans and Democrats on it, but they won't be office holders. Oh, okay. That's a step forward. so there's also an attempt to just have it reflect statewide offices Mm. and not, um, have anything to do with congressional maps. All right. Greg, I got to run to a break. I really thank you for joining us. My pleasure, Ed. Folks, talking with Greg Maynard in Columbus, Ohio, about the recent uh, ruling on reproductive rights and Ohio's struggles with uh, creating legislative and congressional districts that are fair and balanced. Hey, we're going to take a short break. When we come back, Randy Evans is going to join us. We're going to be talking about some positive stuff going on in the world in a minute on the Fallon Forum. Years ago, Chef George Fromaro envisioned a new market to house all his favorite foods under one roof in the heart of Des Moines. From that vision, Gateway Market was born. Over the years, Gateway has become Central Iowa's premier good food store, bringing together the world's finest products with Iowa-grown foods and passionate, personalized service. Gateway's welcoming environment in downtown's Sherman Hill neighborhood encourages discovery and honors the simple pleasures of the table. If you're looking for quality foods with a community focus, experience the good food difference at Gateway Marketing Cafe. Catholic Peace Ministry was founded in 1981 to work for peace and justice. It's an independent nonprofit with no ties to the Des Moines Catholic Diocese and is guided by an ecumenical board representing many faith traditions. CPM focuses on the urgency of nuclear disarmament and the need for diplomacy in Ukraine. CPM also provides an educational forum about the permanent war economy, which must be challenged if we are to achieve lasting peace and justice. Learn more at catholicpeaceministry.org. Welcome back to the Fallon Forum. Hey, thanks to our sponsors, including Western Optometry, located in Des Moines East Village. 
Dr. Joel Westerman and his staff are fluent in English and Spanish, and the clinic is open Monday through Friday from 9 a.m. until 5 p.m. and on Saturdays by appointment. That's Westerm Optometry. Thanks also to Story County Veterinary Clinic, where Dr. Kim Holding has been caring for all creatures, great and small, for over 30 years. Learn more at Story County Veterinary Clinic's Facebook page. All right, later in the program, Kathy Burns is going to go solo and talk about her favorite farm and food fanatic. Um, <laughs> uh, it'll be a little bit of a surprise as to who that is. You know, the first half of this program, as we often unfortunately have to do, are, you know, not, not the best of news. I mean, what's happening in Ohio regarding reproductive rights, gerrymandering, you know, we wish we didn't have to talk about that. We wish we didn't have to talk about the underfunding of critical services like mental health care, disability care, child care in Iowa. But I'm happy to say that we're going to launch a, a you know, a, a different direction in this conversation. Randy Evans is joining us on the phone. He's the executive director of the Iowa Freedom of Information Council and the former editor of the Des Moines Register editorial page. Randy, welcome to the program. And it's always a pleasure. And I enjoyed your column this week. Uh, you're talking about Thanksgiving and things that we should be thankful for and how all these, all these, these, these heartfelt, uplifting stories of people who are doing good things in the world, you know, in, in a small way that never makes the big news. But more and more yeah. of that is happening, and you know, and we ought to uplift that and 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 help spread it around. So here we are, spreading around the good news. I think uh, uh, the world these days needs to hear more about this, and uh, uh, as uh, the media shrinks, unfortunately, I think these kinds of stories don't get the uh, the attention that uh, that they deserve, and that the uh, the public needs. Yeah, and, and uh, you, you said the media shrinks. Just, just a quick comment about that. Um, is that a reference to some of the larger, more historical forms of interaction that we're used to covering? Because I mean, to some extent, you know, the internet has allowed certain types of um, communication to proliferate. Some of it good, some of it not so good. Yeah. No, I was referring to. You know what you might call the traditional media, which right. uh, is shrinking in numbers, and and you know for most uh, uh, parts of the media, the the staff resources have been shrinking as sure. well. Yeah, uh, you know there are certainly new voices that are uh, in more easily be heard now right. than they could have uh, 10, 15, 20 years yeah. ago, uh, but. Unfortunately, I think that uh, overall, there's it's a it's harder for the the reading public to to sure. hear about these kind of good news. Yeah, stories. you know the, the 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 you've heard the line before, of course. Uh, if it bleeds, it leads. But you know, I mean, you, you talked about in your column this week about uh, a, a a hair a hairstylist in Minnesota who has been a very inspiring person. Yeah. Uh, Katie Steller is, uh, uh, she's a phenomenon. Uh, and if you, uh, if you listen to her, uh, you can't help but be uh, both uplifted and energized and also feeling like, gosh, I'm not really uh, carrying my share of the load. Uh, she's just an amazing uh, a woman who, uh, she had health problems when she was uh, uh 
uh, growing up, and I think that has uh, uh, has affected her outlook on life uh, in some degree. Okay, and she's a hairstylist, and so what has she done in that capacity to spread kindness? Well, and, and you know her uh, her mantra is that uh, uh, you know if uh, if people uh, you know sort of think that fear is contagious, she believes that uh, uh, there's no reason why kindness can't be contagious too. And uh, she has what she calls her red chair project. Uh, her the chairs in her uh, salon are are red. Uh, she loads them up. She loads up a, a chair in the back of her uh, SUV, and she will drive out on the streets of Minneapolis, and uh, she sees uh, uh, people who who are uh, down on their luck, and she pulls up and said, "You need a haircut, basically." And uh, what if she just sees somebody but, like me who needs a haircut? Well, you know, Ed, I think that it's probably fortunate for us that she doesn't have you and me to uh, uh, turn her uh, scissors on because, <laughs> you know, we might keep her busy. But I think, you know, her her approach is that, uh, you know, the, the haircuts are, are simply uh, oh, almost like an excuse uh, because, you know, what she sees as the value is uh, that face-to-face communications and interaction with people who uh, might normally be accustomed to uh, uh, having uh, strangers drive by and just, you know, they're invisible to uh, to those people. And, 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 and so, many, uh, so many things in our world, our modern world, make face-to-face contact uh, less likely. I mean, you mentioned the automobile, people just driving by. But yeah. it's, it's, even, it's, it's gotten worse than that with social media. I mean, I, I, anymore, I mean, maybe you've had this experience as well. Previously... Walking down the street in Des Moines, if you see somebody, you nod, you say hello. But yeah. more and more, I, I'd say that happens about maybe 30% of the time, maybe less even more. Most people, they often have earbuds in. Even if they don't, they're looking straight ahead. They're not even going to look at you, let alone acknowledge yeah. any kind of a greeting. Yeah, so, they don't want the eye contact. And and I think for Katie Steller, that's what she uh, is longing for is uh, – you know, talking to these people, whether they're on the side of a road, right. uh, she's cut hair in the, the median between lanes. Oh, she's really? done it under, uh, uh, you know, highway overpasses where people are hanging out. Uh, but I think, I think she would tell you that, uh, uh, for them more important than, you know, simply getting a haircut is having somebody who's, uh, wanting to communicate with them, wanting to talk to them, wanting to listen to them. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think that, uh, uh, you know, I think she recognizes that uh, uh, she's not going to be able to uh, solve all of the problems of people who are uh, between jobs or between housing. Uh, but I think that she believes that uh, uh, showing concern and compassion and interest uh, is an important first step. Mm. Good. And you mentioned also a teenager from uh, Arkansas. Oh, you know, you can't help but smile when you 
when you listen to Ruby Chitsey is her name. She's 16 years old now. Uh, she uh, she says that uh, her hobby is kindness. Uh, and this isn't some self-inflated uh, uh, teenager. She would tell you that she was shy when she was younger, uh, that, uh, oh, she didn't really have a lot of activities. Her mother is a nurse uh, who travels between uh, care centers in Harrison, Arkansas. And when Ruby was 10 or 11 years old, uh, her mother had started having her just tag along with her. And while mom was working in the care center, Ruby would just go from room to room and talking with the residents. <laughs> uh, she, uh, she now refers to these as her old friends. Uh, <laughs> and she means that both ways, I think. Uh, she decided that, uh, uh, you know, that she, uh, enjoyed it. Uh, so she started carrying a little notebook with her, uh, and she would ask him, you know, if you had three wishes, what would they be? And it's, uh, you know, this became her kind of mantra, you know, if you had three wishes, what would they be? And it, what she learned was that it wasn't money or, or fame or riches, you know, uh, the people in the care center had uh, simple wishes. They needed some chapstick, or it would be <laughs> nice to have a certain snack. Or, right. you know, boy, I'd give anything for a bottle of Dr. Pepper. Or, uh, <laughs> I need some warm socks. And so Ruby set out to uh, start raising money. And since 2018, she has raised, you know, hold on to your hat. She's raised more than five hundred thousand wow. uh, dollars. That she has used to uh, a sixteen-year-old wow. small gifts, hmm. uh, and you know she is, you know, she has formed a not-for-profit corporation uh, that's called uh, Three Wishes for Ruby's Residents. Mm -hmm. uh, her message: she's gotten you know some national attention. Uh, you know, with her, her efforts and her personality. Uh, and there are now uh, sort of disciples of Ruby uh, that are uh, in 40 states and are uh, carrying out similar kinds of wishes, uh, nice. you know, in nursing homes all over the country. Uh, you know, and the, the free part of, of Ruby's mission uh, is the uh, the connection with these residents? Uh, they light up when they see her. She lights up when she sees them. Mm -hmm. uh, it's just one of those wonderful stories that uh, that shows what uh, uh, people who th might think that they don't have the the means to make a difference in the world right. really are. You mentioned uh, you mentioned in Iowa. I mean, you mentioned people from a bunch of different states too. It's, it's a very expansive column, but. I, I've noticed you mentioned a fellow from Iowa as well, Dale Schroeder. You know, this is a, a, a gentleman that I learned about uh, several years ago from uh, Eric Hansen at KCCI. Uh, Dale Schroeder had a, an amazing work career. He was a, uh, he was a carpenter. He worked for 61 years. Uh, he worked until he was 85, 
for the same uh, company here in Des Moines. Uh, he grew up in Clarion, Iowa. He never married. He was the last in his family. Uh, and he, as he got up in years, he went to uh, uh, one of his friends who was a lawyer and, and said that, uh, you know, he really wanted to do something that wasn't possible for him when he was growing up, and that was to go to college. Uh, he told his lawyer friend that I'd like to help kids go to college. And uh, the lawyer said, well, you know, what do you have in mind? <laughs> and Dale Schroeder said well, about $3 million worth uh, that he had in mind. And so Dale picked up the tuition room and board for uh, uh, 33 kids from small town Iowa who wouldn't have been going to college wow. otherwise. That's really, uh, that's really nice. His name rings a bell. I can't say if I've met him, but I certainly have heard the name before. Uh, you know, we have a, there's, you could probably have, you could probably find a similar story on every block or every right. town in every, 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 every corner of the country. There's always good people doing yes. kind things. Uh, one, one example from my neighborhood here, there's a woman down the street, you know, she and her husband uh, have a dog, no kids. Um, they have jobs, but she also has found a lot of time in her schedule to reach out to families at, uh, at a housing project nearby, which is almost entirely inhabited by African immigrants. And she's kind of adopted it. She's helped many families there. One family in particular, she's really gone overboard to, to make sure they have all the school supplies they need and, uh, and clothing and, and food and everything else. She's done a, a great job at making sure people, other people in the neighborhood know that if they want to pitch in, there's a way to do this. So. Yeah. Well, and I think you're, you're spot on. Uh, I think there are these kinds of people, maybe not to the, uh, the extent that Dale Schroeder was with Dale's kids, but there are these kinds of people uh, in communities all across Iowa, big and little. Uh, you know, I grew up in Bloomfield down in Southern Iowa and um, there is a, a very nice uh, uh, community recreation center there. Uh, there's a running track basketball courts. Uh, it's, there are meeting rooms for family reunions. Uh, it's called the Mutchler, M-U-T-C-H-L-E-R, mm. the Mutchler Community Center. Uh, it was a gift to the community by nice. uh, uh, a gentleman by the name of Glenn Mutchler, who mm. uh, yeah. was a farmer who uh, worked hard, saved, never married, uh, didn't have kids that drained the money from him. <laughs> uh, and he, uh, you know, it, right. you know, at the time of his death, yeah, the city learned that there was a million dollars wow. that was sitting there to build the community center. So you know, there's lots of stories like that out there, folks, and um, it's important to remember that it's not all gloom and gloom and doom, despite what you might hear on this program. Uh, <laughs> Randy, uh, thank you so much for joining us. It's always my pleasure, Ed. Folks, Randy Evans. Uh, with the Freedom of Information Council, Iowa Freedom of Information Council. I'm going to tell. I'm going to cut out here. When we come back from a short break, Kathy Burns will have the mic all to herself to share a story about um, her favorite farm and food person. Back in a minute on the Fallon Forum. Architecture by Synthesis provides planning, design, and design build services for high performance, low maintenance, affordable homes and buildings. 
Owner Mark Clipsham asks that you use the most energy efficient methods you can afford and the greenest, longest lasting materials available. Examples of Mark's work can be found at architecturebysynthesis.com. That's architecturebysynthesis.com. At Westrom Optometry, Dr. Joel Westrom and his team provide a variety of services, including comprehensive eye exams, children's eye exams, and LASIK co-management. Whether strictly utilitarian or a fashion statement, your comfort and vision are Westrom's primary concern. Dr. Westrom and his staff will work closely with you to determine the best solution for your eyes, prescription, and lifestyle. Services are provided in English and Spanish, and the clinic is open Monday through Friday from 9 a.m. till 5 p.m. and on Saturdays by appointment. That's Westrom Optometry, located in Des Moines East Village. Welcome back to the Fallon Forum. I'm Kathy Burns. Thanks to our sponsors, including Gateway Market and Cafe, Central Iowa's largest premier good food store, bringing together the world's finest products with Iowa-grown foods and passionate, personalized service. If you're looking for quality foods with a community focus, check out Gateway Market and Cafe. This week, I'm dedicating our farm and food segment to the memory of my favorite farm and food lady, my aunt, Marion Rose Raymond Smith, who died on November 2nd at the age of 99 and a half years old. Marion was my mom's older sister and her brother John's little sister, my aunt, and most especially for me, my godmother. When I was little, I must have been thinking about the Cinderella story because I called Marion my very godmother. When I think back on Marion's life, I realize the word very was perfect to describe her because she was very resourceful and artistic. She was very funny. She could be very stubborn, but most of all, she was very loving. And how she found time to give me, her goddaughter, special attention is a mystery because she had 12 children of her own, six boys and six girls. Marion didn't grow up on a farm, but she married a farmer. She and my Uncle Gene worked hard to make that farm work, and they relied on all 12 of those kids to keep things running. I loved visiting them all in the rolling hills of southwest Iowa, north of the town of Portsmouth. It was an old-school farm operation with hogs, corn and beans, alfalfa, and if I'm remembering right, I think maybe sorghum and some other crops common in the 60s and 70s. Not so much of this monocropping that goes on today. Of course, they had a big garden and ate what they grew there. So much food was eaten fresh or preserved. With a family of 14, their house had two full kitchens, one upstairs and one downstairs, and those kitchens were running full time. Marion and the girls were constantly working to make sure their family's huge dining room table was filled with food three times a day. At Marion's funeral, one of my cousins also mentioned that the boys who were out choring all day, and yes, in Iowa, we use chore as a verb in other places too. They always each had two plates at the table, one for meat and vegetables and one more for potatoes and gravy. 
I know they grew a lot of potatoes and fixed them mashed because several years ago, one of my girl cousins told me that she loves potatoes, but she won't peel another potato the rest of her life. She's done enough. I'd like to share some words from one of Marion's daughters, written for Marion's funeral service. I'll quote, Like many farm wives, she was an artist in whatever medium was available. We all knew not to stand still very long. Mom might brush paint on you. She loved sewing and baking. Those birthday cakes were works of art, but did not last very long. Her apple pies were known far and wide. All you grandkids and great-grandkids know that your apple pie grandma is watching over you. Every life has complicated dilemmas. Mom solved many of these major problems with simple but profound advice. We all heard her say, keep smiling, keep praying. That's the end of the quote. So I can't think of a nicer time than Thanksgiving week, time of year when many people turn their hearts to family and food and thanks to pay tribute to Marion Rose Raymond Smith. Speaking of thanks, thanks to our guests today, Maureen McHugh, Greg Maynard, and Randy Evans, and to our production team of Sherry Herdina, Forrest Detterman, Charles Goldman, Ed Fallon, and me, Kathy Burns. Thanks also to our local small business partners, Gateway Market and Cafe, Architecture by Synthesis, Story County Veterinary Clinic, and Western Optometry. Thanks also to our nonprofit partners, Catholic Peace Ministry, Iowa Physicians for Social Responsibility, Bold Iowa, and Birds and Bees Urban Farm. And thanks to the Des Moines Irish Session for our music. We'll be back next week with another hour of Cutting Edge Talk Radio. And right now I'll leave you with a recording of my Aunt Marion. It's a voicemail she left me on my birthday last year. It's her spin on a song from the mid-1800s, The Old Gray Mare. Her voice is shaky, but you should be able to hear from what she says, her sense of humor, her dedication to family, and her tremendous love. Happy birthday, Kathy. This is Marion, this old gray Marion. She ain't what she used to be. She ain't what she used to be, this old gray Marion. She ain't what she used to be many long years ago. Happy, happy, happy birthday and love and prayers. Bye-bye.